Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. I'm Andrew Millen. And this is the Celtic Soul Podcast. And you're all very welcome back. My guest on the show today will be former professional boxer Ushin Fagan. And I would like to say thank you very much to Boyne Valley Dry Lining for sponsoring this episode of the podcast. Thanks to Kevin Colvin and the crew for the continued support. And I'd like to say I enjoyed the game with Kevin on Thursday night, but that would be a lie. But I have enjoyed many a good trip to Glasgow and beyond following the tick with Kevy. And if you would like to sponsor us, please get in contact with us via the website, social media, or by emailing us at info at CelticFanzine.com. You will find us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn. We are fully fan-funded, which enables us to produce free content across all our platforms. We do not have a Patreon, and we do not go behind a paywall. But if you can't afford it, and you would like to support us, you can do so by visiting CelticFanzine.com, where you can donate for the price of a pint, and you can also support us by becoming a member, subscribing to the fanzine, buying a copy of the fanzine, or a t-shirt or some of our merchandise at our online shop. And I mentioned last week that Paul Heaton wore our three-stripe Glasgow t-shirt on stage at a festival recently, and thanks to Paul, it sold out quickly. So we've just done another run, and you can pre-order the shirt on CelticFanzine.com, and we should have it with you in the next week or two. Thanks to everyone who tuned in to last week's Celtic Soul conversation with Joe Mackin from the Kane Foundation and also those who tuned in this week to our talk from the Terrace on Tuesday with Alternative View editor Matt McGlone and on Wednesday our Grand Old History podcast with Paddy McMenamin. And we're looking forward to reading Paddy's new book when it comes out. And if you do tune in tonight, you'll hear Paddy's uh, journey following Celtic in Europe since 1969. Issue 117 of More Than 90 Minutes, our 20th anniversary edition of the fanzine is now available on our website in both print and digital format at CelticFanzine.com and if you're up in Aberdeen and you're lucky enough to have a ticket for Pataudry on Sunday keep an eye out for Gaxi he'll be out there in whatever the weather is selling a few fanzines before and after the game 
That's if he doesn't get too jad going up on the brazen head bus. And a big shout out to everyone who bought a copy of the fanzine over the last two decades and to all the writers, poets and cartoonists who contributed. And especially, I suppose, a big thank you to all those who subscribed and sponsored us. So where do we start after dropping points at home to Dundee United last week? Oh, we got a wallop it on Thursday night by Bayern Leverkusen, 4-0. We did have chances and I have to say the goalkeeper was very good. Pulled off at least four really good saves. On a positive, it was good to see McGregor and Kyogo back in the starting lineup fit again. But after the brilliant atmosphere before kickoff, created by the fans, it was all downhill. We witnessed two goals by the visitors in each half. And I also noticed a return to Celtic Park for our major shareholder, Dermot Desmond. He's become known to some as the absent landlord. And with 20 to 25 minutes to go, Dermot had seen enough and he left the stadium. And I have to say he was followed by the majority of the crowd who started to leave soon after. I can't remember a European night when the stadium was so empty at full time. We used to fancy ourselves against any of Europe's elite teams in the Champions League at Celtic Park. Teams like Barcelona, Manchester United and Juventus, to name just three. We're all defeated in paradise. Sadly now, we are getting pumped at home in the Europa League. That's how far we've fallen. But the bread and butter of the SPL returns on Sunday. And the pressure is now on Ange and the players' shoulders to go up to Aberdeen, get kitted out, get on the pitch and get a win and stop the slump. Don't forget, folks, the podcast is available across all platforms, so please subscribe and follow on your preferred platform. And we are delighted to say that we now have 110,000 downloads of the podcast, and we're delighted with that. Someone said to me, Joe Rogan probably gets that a day, but we're not Joe Rogan. I'm Andrew Millen, and this is the Celtic Soul podcast, and we don't have the million pounds that Joe Rogan gets from Spotify. But best of luck to Joe anyway. We'll keep plugging away here in our little studio. As I said, folks, please subscribe and you'll never miss an episode. And please visit our YouTube channel, Celtic Fanzine TV, where you will find our shows, including Talk from the Terrace and the Grand Isle History Podcast. And they are also available if you visit CelticFanzine.com, where you'll also find news and articles, the podcast, video content, and our online shop. And finally, folks, don't forget to download our free Celtic Fanzine app, and you'll have access at your fingertips to everything we do you know, across written, spoken and visual content. Our pre-match warm-up event, Celtic AM, has a new home at Morphy's Irish Bar in the Merchant City and we will kick off this season with a Johnny Doyle special on Tuesday, the 19th of October with a midday kick-off in the pub before Celtic take on Ferran Varus at the unusual midweek kick-off time of 3.30 in the afternoon. Ushie and Fagan took up boxing after falling down on his luck in the United States. After finishing his soccer scholarship, he found himself homeless and sleeping in his car or on friends' sofas. He then walked into a boxing gym and asked promoter to get him a fight so he could make some money to get himself back to Ireland. He got $200 that night for for his first fight, which he won against the odds. And he also got very lucky that night on his way back to the dressing room. He got talking to a man who happened to be the head teacher in the school and he offered him a job. His life changed that night and he would go on to fight world champions Amir Khan and Julius 
Cesar Chavez Jr. during his career. He fought in boxing meccas in New York's Madison Square Gardens and the Las Vegas MGM Grand, as well as in his hometown of Dublin in the National Stadium, where he won an Irish title, and also in the Point Depot. Ushian Fagan is a former professional boxer. Born in Dublin, a promising young sportsman in his youth, he went to the USA on a full soccer scholarship, and his life after that was uh, the stuff of um, film, maybe, because I know you've wrote a book, Ushian, but this is uh, film stuff. You're very welcome to the Celtic Soul podcast. Um, as we leave lockdown now behind and we get back to some kind of normality, how's the last 18 months been for yourself? Um, well, I still have a job, so I'm happy enough. Uh, the, it's, it's been tough. Like my, my parents live about 10 minutes away only and we were kind of, I'd, I'd park up in the, I'd park up in the, uh, in the driveway and they jump out into their car and we don't go in those and talk that way. So we've been getting on okay. That that's that's been the way it's it's, it's been working up to now. Uh, my fiance was away for ten months. She was minding her mum over in Slovakia, and so that that was tough too. So everything's kind of culminating. It's, it's been tough. I, I know it's been tough for everybody, and actually, it's probably not as been so tough for me uh, other than other than uh, like missing the girlfriend and and. Uh, then, like, obviously, I can't. You can't go in and, hu- and hug your parents and stuff like that. So that, that's that's hard. Obviously, I've got um, I've got um, brothers and sisters too, and, and nieces and nephews. So it's hard not to be able to hug them either. But um, I'd say there's been people who who have had a lot worse than I have. So I'm not I'm not too bad, and I'm still working. I'm still uh, going out uh, to schools and looking after the kids there, and and uh, trying to. Uh, Teach them a, a new a new sport, uh, which which is boxing. We've been in our job about ten years now, but it's the first time in in, in Ireland actually that boxing has been kind of like on the on the uh, physical education curriculum. And um, we're we're the guys myself and uh, former gold gold medalist Michael Michael Carruth, and um, we've got Noel Burke, Ed Griffin, and Paul and, and Paul Quinn, who are uh, great community guys all over. Um, all over, or uh, from, from, all from Dublin, actually. And now, now it's actually Kelly Harrington's uh, um, trainer. So you might know, you might know him just by being on the TV lately. Yeah, I, I'm. I've been in and around boxing for from since I was a kid. I, I, I ten good years with the Holy Family in Drada. So, uh, oh, nice. Okay. Yeah, yeah, it was. It was. It was a great. Um, it was a great. Uh, I suppose upbringing because you know you were going from school. You didn't have much time to hang around the streets. You were going to school. You were home, you, and, you, and you were in the gym most nights. And uh, yeah, mm-hmm. the, the Christy McKenna and now Damien's took over. They've it's just such a big part of the community, and it's like a it's a world class mm-hmm. facility now. A far cry from yeah. the the prefabs that we started in. It was actually I think everybody had prefabs in Ireland at some stage. Yeah, the, the, the prefabs yeah. were actually the school I went to. The, that was the the full school yeah. before they built the school we were in prefabs and then it got ran down um, got vandalised and the boxing club took it over they found the bo- and within within uh, 12 months they had the first season they had the first Irish champion which was a juvenile and with it, and the second season yeah. they had the first senior champion which was a big a big big thing a guy called Johnny Taunton and he's still involved as a yeah, coach so yeah it's been great yeah. but look that's enough about me Oshin. <laughs> 
firstly take me back to Dublin where life began and where like you're back walking in Dublin now as I said you went to the States on a soccer scholarship but growing up firstly before we um, maybe talk about the afterlife of your professional boxing career take me back to those young days in Dublin growing up yeah uh, young days I'm from um, originally from Kilimanjaro and Tallaght which is on the south side more west side of of Dublin Um, and I lived there for until I was about 12 I moved over this, the north side uh, to Port Marnock and I was a, a, a very keen sports person in, in general I, I didn't even look at boxing back. I, I, I used to watch boxing on the TV when I was a kid and all that but I was never into boxing as you know, I was. I, I never fought didn't really start start doing much in boxing until I was really really old I was 30 when I started taking it very seriously but I am um, I got a um, so when we moved over to Port Marnock, I was I was, I was playing so I was playing Gaelic and hurling. Uh, that was my, they were my main sports at the time. And um, when I went over to Port Marnock, then uh, started playing uh, started playing a spell with um, with uh, uh, Saint Malachy's and Edenmore and Glebe North and Balbriggan, uh, and these are all Premier Premier League sides. Uh, at, for my age, you know, at the time, so I was quite a good, quite a good footballer, and um, <clears throat> ended up uh, kept on kept on playing soccer. The reason why I kept on playing soccer rather than than getting fo- uh, football in, in the end was because I knew I was dedicated enough to keep at something enough, and maybe I'd be able to make a few quid or something. That's that's always what I had in the, in the back of my mind, you know. So I was always thinking that I'd. Uh, I'd uh, try to be a professional soccer player. That would be would have been the dream, my dream back in back in the day, you know. So it was never my dream because I was useless. You were so I was probably yeah. the best sub sub in the street. Um, <laughs> so, right? <laughs> I think they only played me because I was fifth from the boxing. <laughs> yeah, but but, but the, the, the boxing lasted a little longer than than the soccer did, and and I, um, I will delve into America because I'm really interested to hear about the American story. But um, like when you come, you, you you did come back to Dublin now, and you said you're settled and you, and you're, you're you're walking with the, is it the Dublin City Council that sponsored the the boxing? Dublin City Council spot our funder our funders and um, we are uh, employed by the Irish Amateur Boxing Association, um, but the DCC are the ones who fund the who fund the program. It's a great program. Like we've we've literally got tens of thousands of kids involved in boxing who may never ever put on a pair of gloves in their lives before. And we do this, it's a 13 week course. We do a bronze, silver and gold course, four weeks, four weeks, four weeks. And we start off very basic. And then we go into, say, a, a, a class um, so of about 20, 25 kids. Uh, go into a class and we, we bring them along. And like, we, might have, we might have four classes per school, you know. And then... Uh, so out of those hundred hundred kids, like you bring them along, then you start to put a headgear on them for the for the next boat for the silver, and we let them body spar and just get a feel of having gum shields in and and uh, body sparring. And then for the ones who are really interested, and for the ones who show some promise, we bring them bring them to the stadium to the national stadium where the uh, the the um performance gym is and we try to match them up really equally so it's it's, it's different we're very different for from say what the, the clubs will do because the clubs always want want a winner 
out of uh, out of their club, you know. Whereas we, as the five development officers, we want, just want a good show. So we have them all sparring against each other for the for those four gold weeks, and uh, in the gold weeks we match them up perfectly. And I'd say in a thousand a thousand matches we've had two nosebleeds because everybody is so so well well matched. And uh, they've got a uh, we we uh, they have all that great experience of going to um, going to national stadium. And actually, for I won my Irish side in that in that ring, uh, and Karut won his, and Mel won his, and uh, so in the space of thirteen weeks, they can actually fight in the same ring as we uh, as we um, uh, fought in uh, for our for our titles and stuff like that. So it's, it's great incentive for the kids to keep going, you know. Yeah, it's brilliant, and I'm sure some of them then will will actually go on and join boxing clubs. Yeah, well, that's our, and that's our, our main goal is for them to go on and join the, the local boxing club. You know, yeah, that's brilliant. Now, um, Oshin, yeah, as you said, uh, you you know, brought up in Dublin, great soccer player, but Gaelic and Holland was was the four sports, I suppose. But soccer was you seen yeah, soccer yeah. as a way out, and it did become a way out yeah. because you must have been yeah. quite clever as well because. Uh, you won a scholarship, a soccer, a full soccer scholarship um, to America, and I've been looking at yeah. old ESPN press releases from your fighting days, and it's telling me that um, yeah. you did really well because you got degrees in political journalism and physical education. Um, but did you think then yeah. that you were set for a life in football with a career, and then the fallback of, you know, politics or, or, or journalism? When you yeah. retired, yeah. Now I understand what you were saying, but I, I didn't start off being a good student. You see, when I was in, when I was a, 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 a when I was in a, a when in secondary school, I was a big messer, and I just didn't want I didn't want anything to do with school at all, and so I didn't bother. And I, and see, as you were saying, though, in the end, I, I, I came good, but. The thing was, I was 24 when I actually went over my football scholarship. So I copped on. I'd worked on the building sites. I'd worked in uh, worked in the delicatessens and stuff like that. And I was just thinking to myself, oh, there must be a better way than this, you know? Like, fair play to anybody who does those jobs. They're tough jobs. But I, I didn't want a tough job. I wanted to be on the easy street, you know? <laughs> however, however... Um, I was uh, yeah, I was a, me- a messer in school. I ended up getting thrown out of school, and then only uh, only after um, a long a long time working working hard and thinking to myself, uh, I really should have <laughs> really should have knuckled down when I had the chance to knuckle down. I got I got a I, I played in the junior cup final, the Leicester junior cup final for Port Marnock, and we played Cherry Orchard in, in uh, when we played in Daily Mount. No, it wasn't Daily Mount. It was in a Talca Park. And I had a particularly good game, and uh, I won man the match and got. Uh, and there was a nice bit, bit of an article in the newspaper, and one the the Independent or something the next day saying that I was one to watch for the future or something like that. And that was class because what I was doing at the time was trying to send over my CV for two American colleges uh, because one of my friends had been over there, and he originally went over to Chicago. <laughs> 
and I did well in, in well, I did well in the practice game that they put me on. That was my first time in America. I was in a practice game in Chicago for Lewis University, and I did well. I, played, I scored three, three in my first little kind of five or so game. I said, oh, "This is pimp side." I was, I was heads and tails better than some of the lads I taught, you know. And the guy brought me into the into the uh, the dressing room or into his office afterwards and said, "This all oh, we really want you to come over." Uh, and I said, great, he signed me up, you know. And this is when I was about 22. And he said, uh, yeah, no, you know, we only offer full scholarships for second-year students on. I said, oh, it's going, so how much do I have to pay? And he said, about five grand for the first year. I was going, what? And that's the end of that. And that was it. And so he said that he put, leave my name on, the, on my stats on the internet because they had little groups between all the coaches. He says, so if anybody else comes in for you, I'll, I'll put in a good word for you. And about two years later, then they did. And after that, that match against Cherry Orchard, I sent over a couple more CVs and uh, a few, a few, few colleges picked up on it and they uh, got in touch with me. And one, in, one particularly in Oklahoma, um, USAO University of Science and Arts, uh, asked me, "Will I, uh, will I uh, sign for them?" I said, "Full scholarship." He said, "Yeah, absolutely." I was going, "Yeah, <laughs> sign me up." That was it. So four years, four years is what I had over there with them. Actually, it was a five-year five deal because I, I took on my, my politics and, uh, and, and journalism uh, later on in the, in, the, in the first term. So I ended up saying almost five years there, you know. Well, five years and then then the rest of my life started. <laughs> but you're not, you're, not, you're not the first uh, Dublin man we've had on the podcast that won a soccer scholarship to, to the States. We had a guy called Johnny Vaughan from the north side of Dublin. Yeah. Johnny's Johnny Vaughan. Johnny's still over there. Yeah, Funny he, enough, like he, I don't think he'd know me. Um, well, maybe he would. Because I think Johnny Vaughan played for home farm, didn't he? I think, and, 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 and his brother Trevor as well. Trevor, Trevor played for Drogheda. I think it was Trevor. I think it was Trevor. Yeah. So I think Trevor played in the, home, the great home farm team. He was that in that won. team with Gary oh, Kelly in that, yeah. Yes. Yeah, we used to play against them. They were in our league, like, yeah. um, but they were they were tops. They were tops, the top of the league. They were brilliant. They were, yeah. And there's another person we had on the podcast, Gary league. Kelly. So you know, it's, it's everything goes full circle. So listen, uh, yeah. <laughs> you're in the states, right? Uh, yeah. I suppose living the dream, a student. Uh, you're old enough yeah. to to you know you're mature enough. You're not a kid yeah. over there. So did you get homesick? <laughs> It was just as well because, as I was saying, as, as I was saying, like eight, when I got thrown out of school, so I was seventeen-ish, uh, and I was just so immature that there was not a chance I would have stayed the four or five years in school in America, no way. So I was, I was blessed in a way. It was the worst time in life because I got into so much trouble and all that, but. Uh, uh, but it worked out like proper for me, you know. It worked out well in the end because I, I, I went over at the exact proper time that I needed to go over. It was a perfect time. I was a little bit older than than uh, than some of the other, other guys over there, and uh, I had had my head screwed on. But now I was say having head screwed. I had great times in college as well, but I, I knew when to stop, you know. So I was I was all right. just a good time for me, yeah. Yeah, no, it's a great opportunity for people um, to get over, but. Yeah. College finished and you fell on hard times. Yeah, that, yeah, yeah. I wouldn't mind, but I had, I had, uh, had my degrees and I thought this is great because at least I had something to fall back on. I thought, 
but there was because I I was uh, I was running out of my my student visa, and so for a few weeks I had to uh, I had to get in the back of, a, of my, my car, you know, and stayed in the back of my car for a little while. Now, if I had told my mum and dad about this, you know, they would have sent me over money or done whatever, whatever that needed to be done to, to look after me. But I, I was just so proud that I'd actually, because I got thrown out of school the first time, and now I'm after being a graduate, and I got honours in my honors in my, in, in my in my degree course. But yeah, I didn't want to tell anybody that. Uh, I was fighting hard times because it t- I think just like kind of what you said, you're, oh, you're living the dream. It wasn't a dream until, <laughs> until it actually properly happened, you know. So I lived in the car for a little while, uh, not not very long. Um, but I, went, I used to talk to my pal from Jamaica, Alcino, and he was on the scholarship with me. And he, he said to me, because myself and Alcino used to partake in extra training. And when we did extra training, we do a little bit of sparring just to keep fit, you know. And he says, you know, he says, I know you, you haven't you haven't done much uh, uh, in the in the box, and he says, well, you're you're really good, like, gone really, and it just kind of resonated with me, you know. I had something in the back of my mind saying, okay, well, that, thanks, and then I left it in the in the archives for 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 years. But then uh, when it came down to it, uh, Alcino says, would you not go down and, and see if you can get a professional boxing fight? Might get you a few quid. I was going. Really, I'll get battered like. And he says, he says, well, you know, you taught me taught you were. I always thought you were quite good. And I used to do a bit of boxing. He said, you know, so I was going, oh, yeah, I suppose I'll give it a go. Sure, I'm not, I'm not afraid to take a punch anyway. So we go down. If I get battered, I get battered. Well, I'll go down and I'll give it a go. So I trained for a couple of weeks, a few weeks. And sure, I used to be going back to my car then and going back and uh, doing doing my runs at night time and. Uh, I went down to it, down to this um, uh, fella, and um, said, "said um, uh, it's not for anybody for 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 a few quid, you know." And uh, he said, "he said uh, he said really, it's kind of one of these song king kind of characters, you know, kind of rubbing his hands together, saying, right, I'll get your fight, don't you worry.' This is, I said, when's when's the when's the when when the fight be?' He said, "Oh, two weeks time, we've got we've got um, we've got um." Um, uh, a, sh- a show, a local show, and I says two weeks. Are you sure? Are you sure? He says, yeah. Well, that's that's when it's on, you know. I says, how much will I get for that? He says about two hundred dollars. I was going, uh, right, okay. He says, but at that stage, two hundred dollars better better kicking ass, you know. So I says, yeah, well, I'll go with that, you know. So just I was training on my own and. Um, and in in between these, I was staying in some 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 of my pals' houses who who used to go to college with me and stuff like that. So I'd be getting shower. Listen, the, the whole the whole living the car thing only really was uh, between a week and a half and two weeks, you know. So I wasn't I wasn't on on that store, and but like I'm still training. And people would ask me around, and they'd help me out. Like they they'd be bring me over for dinner and stuff like that. So it wasn't that I was going hungry or anything like that. It was just a hard time. Had a lot of time to kind of reflect on on life and stuff like that. And then and really think about knuckling down. I just wished that somebody could take me on, and I'd be able to. Um, I'd be able to start start doing things properly, you know. Um. So. After so I went in for my first fight. I was against a guy called Sheldon Mosley, who who was an amateur at the time, and he was he was quite good. But I used to spar him in in in. It was called uh, 
TKO gym back in, in Oklahoma City. And I used to spar him every now. He was much taller than me, but it was my weight because he was a skinny dude. He kind of reminded me of uh, Tommy Hearns, those long levers on him, you know. And he used to be, he used to beat me up quite. He used to beat me up in the spars, but he always used to know that I'd be keep keep on coming for him. And I knew that they they so they said you know be fighting Sheldon for in this in this fight, you know. It's going okay. So I knew to myself, well, right, uh, I'm not going to get badly hurt because I knew. He was he was good, but uh, he would have been the favourite to to win the fight. I went in and I remember I said, "I'm whatever happens." I said, "I'm not gonna I'm not gonna take the foot off the table. I'm just gonna keep on trying." Uh, like really, really crappy, crappy looking shots. You know, they were just so unprofessional looking. I was just throwing throwing hell for letter, but it was working because. I was still very fit for from being a, a good footballer, and I had that fitness with me. It was only a four round fight, and this guy, even though he's much more polished boxer than I am, uh, couldn't understand why this mad Irishman kept on coming for him, you know. And I remember hitting him in an almighty overhand, overhand right, because and it was an ugly shot because it was I wasn't a good boxer. Just threw it, and I saw land on his chin, I saw his legs buckle. And the referee came in and stopped the fight because he couldn't. He, he had to hold him up. So I was just saying, shit, I'm just winning my first professional fight. It's just nuts, right? So I'm walking down towards, and this is a, uh, where we were in a, it was called the Farmer's Market in Oklahoma City. So it wasn't a, it wasn't what it was. It was Madison Square Garden. It wasn't Madison Square, not this time, no, <laughs> right? So then, uh, so it wasn't Madison Square Garden. So it was the Farmer's Market, and we, I ended up going to, um, uh, going down to uh, uh, to get changed, and I met uh, a principal of a school, uh, a guy called Phil Cunningham, really good guy, and he was uh, at the time I was going out with a girl, and this was uh, Phil, who was who was her uh, uncle. He says that was a great fight, and he says, and now that now that you've, you've you've graduated with your teacher teacher certificate and your uh, and your your uh, uh, you're on your way. Would you like to come in for an interview? I was going, what? So, so in the space of like space of ten minutes, I was a I was a teacher, but teacher by day and a fighter by night. It was just a just a crazy crazy scenario, you know. It was just mad. So from so, from the back of a car, a proud Irish man that wouldn't ring his mum and dad from the back of a car, <laughs> yeah, into yeah. the gym and first pro fight, stop yeah. the favourite. And get out of the ring and get a job. That's not, that's not <laughs> bad going. It's it just a strange state of affairs. The way the way it worked, you know. It was, uh, now I, I've got faith. I've got faith in God. I know that's not the most popular thing in the world any, anymore. But uh, I have to say, I prayed. Amount I prayed for things to work out for me. And when I was in that car, I cried and I prayed and I just just wished that things were were, were working that way for. Well, Start working out for me, and they did. And you know, even to this day now, I've got loads of faith because I, I've uh, it, it's 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 works for me, you know. And you, you, but you must have moments in that car that you know you you, yeah. you wished you were home in Dublin in in your bed oh, and, with, oh, with a home cooked so, dinner by Mammy and. It was so tough. Yeah, it was so tough. I was like, I really was. I was in. Now, my mom and dad hate this already because. Because they feared that they could have helped me out at any time if I had a, had opened my mouth, you know. And uh, 
So they hang me even saying, telling the story that I, 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 I was homeless, right? <laughs> they don't be saying, don't be saying that. It's gone. I understand what they, what they mean because, because they Making would the help shows. me out. Yeah, basically, yeah. Proper Irish parents, right? Yeah, so, uh, so that's, I, I try to hold off on that a little bit, but like at the time, I never know. It, it was, it was, it was poignant. Like it was, it was, a, it was a tough, really tough time for me, but, uh, the training, uh, training started me out, and my faith in God started me out, and so I, I just felt like I got I could keep on going because that was just I was I knew that the one thing that I had going for me was that I was tough, you know. So I was I was always somebody who would take it on the chin and just keep on marching forward, you know. Uh, unfortunately, it was the same in boxing, so uh, so that that worked worked well for me. And sometimes, sometimes, and sometimes not so not so well, you know. Yeah, and yeah. Like, you get a job in the school, so yeah. My, from from my from my research, it wasn't uh, you weren't going into a private boarding school. You were going into a, a tough a tough school, so that must have been a learning curve as well. Was yeah, was it? Um, the poor kids, I gotta say, my the kids I, I taught were uh, predominantly uh, Latino, you know. So they're mostly Mexican immigrants came over the border and and moved in through Texas and and up to Oklahoma. So Oklahoma City was was full of Latinos, which it was great for me. For me, me like Irish and Latinos got on got on really well because we we're all Catholic. We liked to have a few drinks. Like the cultures were actually quite similar. However, the the uh, Obviously, there was a language barrier there, but uh, for being a teacher in a in a Latino school, it was important for the kids to learn English. And all the kids were 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 pretty good at English. It was rare. It was rare to have anybody even even new new kids that didn't have much English. So everybody got on okay, you know. But uh, listen, the, I used to I loved uh, I loved working there. It was some of the best times of my life actually working there. The kids were, were tough. They were absolutely, they really were tough. Um, but uh, some sweethearts as well, some great, great kids, you know. And even even to this day, only, only like uh, on Facebook and all, uh, they'd, be, they'd be on to me say, hey, coach, you know, this, you know say, what's going on? And uh, there's about three, three of my former uh, students who are professional boxers now. I was just <laughs> going to ask, have any of them, any of them told to boxing? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, there was a, there's there's been a few of them, yeah. Oh brilliant. Yeah, so yeah, it's crazy, yeah. And there's a guy called Alex Asado who uh, he won well he fought for a world title there about three about three years ago now. Now he wasn't in my class but he used to come watch me. He was in the school down the road from us and he used to uh, hang around with some of the lads from my school. He became a really good boxer and he just he had a uh, he he fought for a world title and he lost. I think it was a split decision. He lost that one, so he was really really close. But he's after retiring now. Yeah, he got a brain injury, which was which was a horrible thing for him. Um, but uh, I think he's on the road to recovery now. Thank God, you know. Yeah. And and I'm always interested in tough neighbourhoods um, because, like, there's so many of them, and there's like you know people who. You know, torn to torn to boxing and, yeah. and, and football, and you know, music is always these are always a way out for people who may not be the best educated people yeah. in the world. But I always find within these communities, um, and it sometimes gets overlooked 
there's yeah. always a great spirit. There's always a yes. great community spirit where people people will be you know, okay, there's baddies everywhere, but they will pull together. And um yeah. as you said to me there, and this is interesting me about you know, the Latino community, the Mexicans, they, they you know, did a lot in common with the Irish. And it, it brings me back to Glasgow because uh when 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 the Glasgow uh immigrants yeah. Oh, when, 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 the, when the Irish people emigrated yeah. to Glasgow, they faced they faced a lot of uh, hardship, but there was also yeah. communities from East Europe as well came in, and Italians, yeah. and so there was a lot of other communities. And it's funny, it's something I'd never think of. You mentioned the Catholic religion, and that is that is something that brings people together from different countries who don't speak the Absolutely, same language. Yeah. So here it's you are, a hundred years yeah. later. Yeah, yeah. Here you are, a hundred years yeah. later, facing you know in that kind of environment. So, yeah, like, yeah. as an Irish man in this Latino, mostly Mexican community, uh, yeah. how did you find it? Like outside the school, I love it. I love that, and and you'd, you'd see. You see some of the kids getting picked up from school, and their great their grandfather picked them up this week, and he'd only be coming up because after after school, one of my duties were to direct the traffic, so it was kind of like a lollipop a lollipop lady <laughs> on the ground. So everybody used to come come up, and they'd be talking to me as they're walking across the street, and and before you walk across the street, somebody new would come to me and said, "Hey, you're the you're the fighter, you're the fighter. I saw you fight Chavez, and you beat the shit out of Chavez, and all this." And I was going, "All right, times on." Now, and I, I, I made some great, I made some great friends in in that community, and uh, yeah, we. I like I'm going back to uh, the the war that, that the Americans had with the with the Mexicans, you know, and, and uh, the San Patricios, they they uh, they they went with the Mexican army and and, and fought and fought, uh, fought, fought for them in, in the war as well. So we we've got. Uh, so even on St. Patrick's Day, uh, the San Patricios uh, are, are always uh, always lauded and uh, and and given uh, given given kudos, you know, in the in the Mexican community. So it's it's pretty cool there. It's, it's good when you look back at history and that kind of stuff comes up too, you know. Yeah, we, we, we you know we've so much in common with um, yeah. people that we don't even realise. Like when we think of who we yeah. have stuff in common with, and uh, we sure. don't. I I would never have thought of Mexico. So, something I'm going to check out now. Now, listen, yeah. became a professional boxer, running alongside yeah. teaching. Yeah. Um, you, you know, when people think about boxing, they think about Sky Sports box office and that, and they think it's all glamorous and these, you know, training camps and 24 7 on HBO, but, but uh, <laughs> yeah. it's not. Yeah. Um, no. but it was for some of your opponents so you had 41 yeah. fights you retired in 2015 your record stood at 27 wins from 37 bouts with 15 knockouts it's a long yeah. stint but you picked yeah. up a couple of titles along the way and you were also yeah. involved in a fight of the year in in 2009 and I will get to the, to, to the Amy Khan stuff but because that kind of overshadows a lot of your career, I think when you when when, when people say, "Oh, that's the guy that fought Amir Khan," but tell us a little about you know that that boxing journey <laughs> and leave the Khan thing out, and we will get to that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, the the first big big fight I probably had was uh, Chavez. I fought Cha- who is this? Chavez in uh, in the MGM Grand in Las Vegas uh, after my fifth fight, sixth fight. 
and he was five and zero at the time, and I'd won four out of five at the time, and uh, I I felt like I won the fight after the fight, and and for years after they that they they reckoned I I was his toughest opponent too, and so uh, that 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 was not, now he got the results, but I beat him in three out of the four rounds. There was one round in the third round. I, I threw a silly uppercut because I was so new at the sport. Didn't really know. I was just fighting on instinct, you know. So I threw a silly uppercut from way out, and he's having with a right hand, and my glove touched the ground. And I got back up before the ref even ca- called one. I was so embarrassed, and I went for him again. The ref said, "No, that's a, that's a knockdown." And uh, so that turned a ten nine round for me to a 10-8 round for him. And that's where I feel that my, my fortune had, had got torn on its head, you know. So I, I I won three out of the four rounds and I was winning that other round as well when I, until, I got, until I touched me, my hand against the ground. So that was unfortunate. Uh, that, but that was, one of, that was my, one of my big fights then at the start of my career. He didn't expect to be, <laughs> he didn't expect a, a somebody who was going give to it, give it as much as I did, you know. So, uh, and since then, you know, uh, his his uh, George Foreman had, had said that that was the toughest fight in everything. Like, I met George Foreman that night, and he said, "Oh, they definitely definitely didn't expect you." You know, so that was nice to hear these things. Just and loads of loads of little anecdotes came came with the without those fights. Then I fought. Uh, what else did I fight then? Uh, fought. Uh, uh, what's his name? Um, Paul Spadafora then, and Pop Paul Spadafora would have been more famous for well he was a world champion himself uh, and he was 40 you know he had 40, 40 wins without a loss and but, the, but even more more famous he's more famous for beating up Mayweather in the, in the spar uh, that, I think you can still get that on YouTube I think I watched it about two or three years ago where he really he beat up Mayweather Mayweather lay down lay down the middle and he's gone uh, and and he he seemed like he was way beaten up. It was, it was a strange one because I'd never seen uh, Floyd being beaten up before in my life, you know. But uh, now this is this is ages ago. But uh, but uh, th- that was that was one that got through the net, and and I think that's the reason why. Well, so I heard this is the reason why Floyd never never got let, let anybody in to record his uh, his bars ever since then, you know. But he did okay, but didn't he? Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, oh yeah. I so I got a split decision with with Spadafora, and most people thought I won that fight, but like nearly never won the race. You know, it's, it was a shame. I, I got I got so many nearlys. I got split decisions against a few world champions and top top boxers, but uh, never actually got that real inf- real famous win. You know that that uh, that gold that golden cards that that get you. A huge fight somewhere, and you be the main man on the card. Like if I had a, if I had a beaten Spadafora that time, I wouldn't have been the the main guy. And for somebody else to come in, losses that just never happened for me. You know, it was just a shame. Yeah, and um, you think you got you, you got these fights because um, because you were you were you know gamey and you were the crowd were liking you and exactly you know exactly. But yeah. like as a boxing fan, I knew about you. I knew you were boxing over there. Like I'm always amazed when when I see boxers with no amateur careers getting into the pro, into the pro game. It's because it's like because I was an amateur boxer, there was no way I was going to go into the pro game because okay, I, I, I know yeah, how tough yeah. it is. Well, the the thing for me was that I 
was very always very fit, always very tough. And then with a few training sessions and stuff like that in the skills department, I was never very skillful, but I had I had some good trainers, and the trainers brought me through. Brought me Eddie Autry in uh, Oklahoma and Steve Thomason and uh, Gray was there, and uh, there, there was a, a few really poignant poignant uh, times I, I got trained with really good guys and. And even though I, I keep on, say, I kept on saying that I wasn't a wasn't a great boxer. I was becoming a good boxer because of these guys, and and of course my my attitude, my attitude was, uh, was second to none. I, I always had a great attitude to train because I train, like I'm trained, I'm still training like every single day. Like I've probably taken twenty days off in thirty years now, which is like so every single day. Even when I broke my leg against Cam. Crutch five miles a day on the crutches, sh- shadow boxing in a, in a swivel chair. So every single day, except and the times I, the twenty times in thirty years that I took off, it might may have been a funeral that turned into a piss up, and and I probably still ran home from town. Like so, I'm, that, I still do that just to keep my head right. I have to, I have to train. That's just, that's how I, that's well, how I run. I feel ashamed now because I've probably done twenty training sessions in thirty years. <laughs> Class. <laughs> now, that's a regular. I love that discipline. You know, there's not many people go from light middleweight to super heavy overnight. <laughs> um, but you, you did come back to Dublin and then you did become um, known because now, people didn't know that you'd fought Chavez and that. But, yeah, that's true. But, yeah. You know, you come home, you, you won an Irish title. As you said, in the national stadium, which is which is you know anyone that knows boxing in Ireland know how special it is. Uh, I boxed yeah. the national stadium myself. It's a it's yeah. a special, and it must be special for those kids that are going in from the ah, from, yeah, from the great. from the training course you do. But the can fight, uh, yeah. you know, you're in the spotlight then because Amir Khan yeah. is. I know he won a silver medal, but he's the golden boy. You know, he's a. Yeah, he's yeah, made yeah. millions out of boxing. He's far, he's far the best. You know, he's yeah. won world titles. And here's this. It, and before I go into this, I just want to say I'm, something I picked up on when you said, you know, you, you you had heart. I think you can be the best boxer in the world. You can be the most skillful boxer in the world. But if you don't have a pair of balls and a big heart, and you're not able to mm-hmm. bite down on that gum shield when it gets tough, yeah. all that skill and fitness goes out the window. And 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 that's that's probably what makes the, the diff, makes fighters, you know, champions. And the yeah. pro game is, is such a tough game and a hard game, mm-hmm. you know. So you, like, I take my hat off to you. But the can fight? Did you think? Did you think? Yeah, uh, this is, you know, like obviously the money was better for that fight than some fights you had. Did you think this is it? You know, I'm yeah. I, I, I'm making the headlines now at home. I, I've gone full circle yeah. from. From living in a car in America, from my first pro fight to here I am back in Dublin and people are talking about me and I'm on the telly and tell us about the experience. <laughs> the experience was a good experience before, obviously the fight, but uh, the experience was good and I was I was kind of getting used to that kind of kind of way of life. I don't mean the way of life. I'm not I was never 
one of these large, given a large type of people, you know. Um, like I'm a socialist after all, <laughs> Irish Republican socialist. So how, how how could you be? You'd be you'd be brought down to brought down to life real quick, wouldn't you? <laughs> if you started acting the bollocks like that. So mm-hmm. I, uh, so I always had my feet under me. Um, so I I, I ended up um, uh, but but that that kind of lifestyle was was starting to be a, nor- a nor- normality for me. Um, and. The, the reporters would be out to, to do some interviews, that kind of stuff, and be on TV often enough. I, I really wasn't a household name. Although when it came to the camp fight, because I was in training camp so much, I didn't quite, I didn't really realise that people were kind of watching, you know, uh, I suppose at the time, not until afterwards. Now, loads of people who I now know um, have been, went, went to that fight and I, I would never, never, never known that until they, until some night it might be out for, out for, for a night out, and they, they tell me I'm going really, you were, you were at that fight as well. So I always say, oh, sorry about that, <laughs> you know, because what happened was then they asked me to fight. I wouldn't mind, but like there was a few, few lads who turned down the convoy, even from around these shores. So. Uh, when Brian Peters asked me to fight him, I said, "Yeah, yeah, that, that's a that's a great fight for me. I'll, I'll go with that." And we had it. We had it. Uh, we had identified that Khan's weakness was around the top of top of his head and around his temples. So any time we uh, or we sparring, I was sparring, up sparring in, in Brains Gym in, in in Belfast. I'd be sparring with uh, McCluskey, who was very awkward, and Stevie uh, Hahian, and uh, and uh, a, a few few of the other, other lads and. Um, they tried to kind of mimic cans, but nobody can really mimic his speed. The speed is incredible, you know. Anyway, I went in. I was quite quite confident going into the fight, and then uh, about uh, uh, was it? I like I remember coming out coming out all guns a blazing and uh, hit with a couple of shots. He hit me with a couple of shots, uh, and then I remember him hit him throwing a a bit of a chop and right, and I just remember my leg going from under me and and. Broke my leg, broke my leg, eight, eight, about ten centimeters, ten centimeters over my ankle. You know, I remember hearing, hearing the hearing the crack of the bone. Like, I was going, oh no, what's, what's after happening there? And so I had to climb, climb up off the floor. I had to use all my energy to get back up. And uh, I tried to pretend that it wasn't that there was nothing wrong. But the minute I put it was my lead leg, you know, so it was my left leg. So as I was going to kind of go for him again, the minute I put my foot down to to push up, push up, push up my back foot to get onto my front foot, I just collapsed again. And I think I remember throwing a few days and I landing on, on his on his gloves. Where I was still trying to throw, but any time he got out of range, it would be absolute agony to try and get back into range. And so I just. I was falling. I was falling without actually being punched, you know. So I was falling down. Then the referee, who had refed me before, and he knew it was tough, thought that there was something wrong. And then at the time, I think John Brain, the camera. I think I'd gone down three times, and um, twice without being punched. So he was looking at me. The ref was looking at me, and Cam was was biting at the bit. And I saw the ref thrown in the or John Brain thrown in the the towel. Because he knew obviously there was something wrong as well. Because I I'd gone back to the corner and said my ankle's fucked, and uh, he says yeah I wait to go on. So yeah, I'll, I'll go on, but I don't know what's what's happening there. And uh, so we threw in the towel, knowing that 
I don't usually go down anyway. And then, but the lads, Khan and Mickey Van had their, their faces on me. They didn't see the tail coming in. And when I saw the tail coming in, I dropped my hands. And then that gave Khan the impetus just to run, run and, and finish me off. Like, so I, I started falling down. And then Mickey Van jumped on me to, to stop me getting back up again. And sure, you know, was pinned me to the ground and, and he hurt me, more hurt me leg even more. And so, was, uh, he just kept me, kept me there. I was going, oh, this is the worst night of your life. So I was, it was a horrible night. I, I absolutely despise, despise even talking talk about that night because it was horrible. I wouldn't mind, but because I didn't know the, uh, the diagnosis that it broken, I just felt like, even though I'd heard the, heard the crack, I felt that my, uh, it, it went over my ankle, say, and I had to, I was carrying, carrying all my gear back from, from the, and they had us, uh, it was a strategic thing by, by the promoters, I think, they had us about a mile away from the dressing uh, room, well, about a kilometre away from the dressing room, and I had to, I was carrying gear and stuff like that, with broken legs in the dressing room, it was it was agony, absolute agony. And only only the following day when I came back to Dublin, uh, I said, "No, nah, there's something dead wrong with that with that leg," and ended up, uh, yeah, bro- uh, the, the 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 fibula was broken. Um, uh, it was a spiral break in the fibula uh, that that went up about ten inches. So, so I was in in the cast for about uh, three three months. Three months. Yeah, I broke my ankle and like I wasn't in a fight. I I, I broke it and um, I was quite. I, I think it was the first time I, I maybe I started suffering a bit with depression. Um, I because I'd never felt like I'd never been injured before in that. But you're after coming out from a fight where you know the, the world of boxing is focusing on it. So you must have felt, you know, did you feel like? You know, you let yourself down, even though you'd a broken leg. Oh, yeah. But stuff going through your brain that you know. It was worse. Like, like apart from apart from personal personal stuff and all that, it was the worst worst professional night of my life. I I hate that night. I don't like talking about. And when I talk about, I suppose time he times a healer and all that. So I suppose now that people know that my leg was broken, it's a little bit better. But. Up until listen, I'm still. I do still have to explain to people that I broke my leg. People, people that say, "Oh, I remember you, and you got battered by can." That would drive me bananas. Like, I don't know what fucking happens, these bastards. So I'd have to go through that whole rigmarole, rigmarole, and talking about it again. You know, it's, it's just a, it's just a bad, bad thing to happen to somebody who, who was. I was just so dedicated to me sport, to me sport, and to training and stuff like that. It's hard, hard. Yeah, but. But you're the third boxer we've had on the show, and um, like, and they've all had different stories. Like, yeah. Gary Murray was on, and, and Gary fought for the Catholic title and ended up in a coma. And I'd interviewed Gary at a live gig before the fight, and yeah. um, then obviously he he he'd been he was he was sick, like he was he was he was touch and go. And then when he got well enough, and he still he still has moments. He says when he got well enough, we done another live show with him before a game and it was great like the, the the audience was the same audience and they gave him such a welcome and then I've had him on the podcast and he's he's coaching now and he's a boxing gym and he, he came back from that which is probably you know the hardest thing to come yeah. back from and yeah. I, I, I Scotty Cardle on and Scotty was you know touted as, as the next big thing you know Scotty had yeah. you know he was in Eddie Hearn's camp Joe Gallagher's gym so you That's know right, Scotty yeah. was having he won the British title um 
I'd been to a couple of his fights. His dad, Joe, had got me ringside, which was great as a boxing fan. Um, but, you know, when I spoke to Scotty after it, you know, he when he lost his, his British title and then he fought Ricky Bones as a, as a lay substitute, and he he told me how, how bad it was when, when, when boxing was over, when he realised boxing was over. He... He really, he really had a tough time with his mind and that. So you know, yeah. it's it's easy for people to say, "Oh, can beat you up or can you know batter you and all this," mm-hmm. when they don't really know what what a, what a, you know a boxer's life is. And even as someone yeah. who follows boxing, you know, it's only when I get speaking to these people that you see it ain't all, yeah. you know, Anthony Joshua and Tyson Fury, so, you know, and, oh, and Mayweather and McGregor. Yeah, yeah. Funny you said that because like. The, the guys who are watching on the TV don't don't see the work that you put in for, like, as I was saying, 30 years training every single day. They all, they say, wait for you in for 50 grand. Wait for you in for this, for, wait for you in for that. I said, but you wouldn't get into the position of fighting for that because you don't train. You're, you sit on the couch and you watch the telly. Like, it's going, I've trained me bollocks off for fucking 30 years and I only got half a chance. I didn't even get a, a full chance of, of fighting fighting at, at the best of my ability. I broke my leg in the first round. And now, obviously, I got back up to fight again in the second round. But that's just because I'm, I'm a bit mad. Like, <laughs> But the t- but, like they don't see the hard work that I was in to get you into the positions to to uh, to, to compete at that level, you know? Yeah. So, and, the um, high, and, and the highest level. And, yeah. um, and you're so honest as well, you know? You say, like, I wasn't, you know... I, was, I wasn't the best boxer in the world, but you, you gave you gave a hundred percent, and I get that kind of feeling from you. Um, I remember yeah. speaking to you. You probably don't remember. We met each other at a Wolf Towns gig, um, <laughs> uh, over in one, in one of the posh hotels in, on the south side, Balls Bridge. I think. Uh, was it till we get up on stage that night? I don't know. I think it was. I think they were doing a benefit gig for a, a child or something, and um, I took I took a minibus up. And we'd had a few, <laughs> we'd had a few sherbets on the way up, and a few drinks but on the was way up. Was there boxing at the time, though? Was that, had I been boxing? I, I, and... I think, I think you possibly okay. could have been just maybe at the end of your career, or maybe coming right. to the end of it. But you were, you were one of your pals, a, a big tall lad. But we, we had a great right. chat at the back of the hall that night. Um, but and I went, oh, he's he's a decent lad, you know. Um, but <laughs> Cheers, man, when, when I do a bit of research on you, I know that you are a decent lad because you've. From your time in America, you were involved with charities, and you're still involved with charities now in Dublin. Can you tell us a little about that? Because it's yeah. it's of interest to um, to our listeners. Because you know we've always said you know, and they won't be able to see, but you're wearing a Celtic jersey. We've always said you know people don't need to be a Celtic fan to come on on, <laughs> on the show, but they just need to share our values. And one of those yeah. values is is the history. You know, of why Celtic was founded. Yeah. It's it's charitable roots, and. Could you just tell us a little bit your um, involvement with charity first in the states and then back home? Yeah. Well, because I was going through such a hard time in in, uh, in America, I remember remember one time I got into trouble. I I, um, I used to go. I went down to help out the Catholic Worker House. Uh, actually, I got help from the Catholic Worker House. I I, I took. Um, uh, I had, a, had an injury and I took some uh, ibuprofen. Uh, wasn't it was pen, penicillin, and I, I guess I, I must have been uh, allergic to it. And I I started coming out in hives, and my throat started uh, 
uh, climbing up and all this kind of stuff. And one of my one of my friends who's who's uh, who's living over there still, he uh, says I'll get in touch with with Bob from the Catholic Workhouse. He's in and and they brought me to the hospital. They and they gave me antihistamines and they put me on the drip and and they 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 looked after me. You know, I was going that. I says oh, that was such a nice thing for them to do. I says do you do you work around? Do those guys work around here? Would they need a volunteer or somebody to help them out? Because I was really really. <laughs> really in their debt for looking after me. They didn't have to do that. He said, yeah, on Saturday mornings we fill cars and we bring it around poor people in, in Oklahoma. Like It's kind of like the um, uh, uh, food donations and stuff like that. So that's what we used to do. So we was doing that for a long time. Uh, and uh, it just makes you... Makes you Appreciate the stuff that you already have, you know, because uh, there's some uh, some really really good people out there just going through really hard times, you know. So it was just a, it was a real eye opener for me, and uh, so I spent a long time until I started no until I moved out back home. Uh, I I worked with them uh, on 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 my Saturdays, and then uh, there was a group called the um, Show Races in the Red Card. Who asked me to be the boxing the boxing officer um, um, uh, for 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 their uh, for their group and uh, I don't know if you know um, uh, there was a there was a couple of, couple of lads who were who were in in the same boat as me like they, they wouldn't have been hugely well known but. Uh, Someone was decided that we, we'd be the we'd be the ambassadors for show show races in the red card for uh, our specific sports, you know. So so uh Kieran Kilkenny, who was a Dublin Dublin Maestro, uh he he was himself and myself were were uh were the were the Dublin guys who were who were in in the background for a while. And uh and just 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 being a I did work uh I did a I did a couple of, of uh Things for uh, Focus Ireland as well. A couple of ads. I got pictures taken with kids, and it wasn't a wasn't a big deal. But again, Focus uh, Focus Ireland is a, is a great charity too. You know, there's a lot of a lot of really good charities who I who I'd certainly give give support to. You know, um, listen, we're we're all human at the end of the day, and uh, we need and people. Some people need help, and the more people that can that can kind of show awareness or, or like at least like as I was saying I'm not very well known but Kieran Kilkenny he was certainly known especially in Dublin and he was uh, he was uh, one of the one of the big big advocates for, for that for that uh, that charity and then with the the, the Focus Ireland then I, 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 I just let it lend me hand to anything with it that, that's a good cause you know it's kind of, I guess it's kind of an Irish thing because because of our history why wouldn't you be, you know? Although there's an awful lot of these new, newly, newly right-winged crowds here in Ireland I don't understand where we got them. But uh, it's uh, it's horrible. I don't understand what, where the... There's nowhere in history where, where, where we were ever... <laughs> Like like some of the, some of this crowd nowadays, you know? Don't yeah, understand um, the propaganda machine. The, um, yeah. You know, it's... Yeah, it, it is a strange, and I've I've always found that with um some people, um, and we've seen some of them during COVID coming out as well. But um, like the Ireland you left was a white Ireland, 
You know, like I remember going to National Stadium to box and the only black boxer um, was Tommy Hillman from Belfast, from the New Hill Club in, in, in Belfast. He's actually a first cousin mm-hmm. of a lad I go to games with, uh, Hilly Adrian Hillman. And Tommy, I remember Tommy, and there was no racism towards Tommy. Uh, there might have been institutionalized yeah. racism, you know, there might have been stuff, but I never, ever experienced it, you know. Even yeah, when you look at yeah. when you look at the Irish football team, you know, over the years we had, you know, we we, we Paul McGrath, we we had yeah. uh, Chris Houghton, who was the first the first black player yeah, to play for yeah. Ireland, Terry Phelan. So we didn't have a hell of a lot. So when you went to America, you know, your experience a multicultural society. So that that does help because uh, when when immigrants started coming into this country, you know, that's when we realised that, you know. We never, we never thought we were a racist country, but we actually were when, when yeah. people started coming yeah, in. And so it, people it, were being treated... It absolutely baffled me. Yeah. baffles me to, to see Irish racists. I think that's like, that's like an oxymoron, isn't it? Yeah. An Irish racist. How the, how the hell can you be a racist after all the, all the trouble we went through in our, in our history? Yeah. Like, they're just dummies. Dummies. And that's why, and that's why I'm proud to, to follow Celtic, because... You know, yeah, Celtic Football yes. Club has been a club open to all from day one. Protestants, Catholics, yeah. Jews, Muslims, you know, black, yeah. white, red, yeah. whatever colour. Uh, and and, and, the, and the fan base is um, is the same. Uh, I meet yes, people from same. all walks of life, uh, all all races, and, and all backgrounds, people with money, people who don't have money. Yeah. But when they all stand on, on the... It makes me really proud, like, for, and because Celtic would have been like one of the one of the stalwarts of of the anti-racist crowd, and uh, and obviously because of the Irish influence as well, because we were poor, because we were we were the immigrants at one stage and all that. Sure, like that that always has a has a, a knock-on effect, you know. And yeah. but Celtic have really taken it out under the under the colours. It's a, it's a it's a great club in that sense. In in that sense, I'm, I'm very very proud to be a Celtic fan. Yeah. Yeah. No, and it's it's like I think I think we can learn a lot from um from the likes of Brother Walford, you know, and and the legacy he left behind. It's it's certainly a different. I think he would turn in his grave if he's seen. Some of the stuff yeah. that, that that the PLC get up to these days, and the businessmen that run the club, but there is a huge charity yeah. arm of yeah. of the club still with the Seller Foundation, and they do great work. And then there's so many other charities um, in Glasgow and throughout throughout the world that helped out with Celtic fans. So that's something something we can all be proud of. Um, I think if your phone's going there. Oh, she and um, just before I let you go, as I did say, we, we, we chatted at that Wolf Towns gig. Um, it was the only time I ever met you. Um, this is the first time I've spoken to you. So thank you so much for taking the time out to, to, to share some of your story with us because I know there's a lot more and, and I'm really looking forward to, to reading the book when it does get published. I know you're, if I get a publisher, I have to get I, I know you're holding out for a publisher. Um, yeah. I've been following you on uh, yeah. social media. But yeah. like... Every one of my guests jumps into the Celtic Soul time machine, and if you could go back to somewhere in your life, mm. now where does that where does that time machine? What moment or, or memory does that time machine take you back to? Ooh, um, I I went. We went to myself and a couple of my friends went to a we we down around the time of, of uh, Deca- when Decanio played for us. And this is the last time. This was the was this the last time I, I watched Celtic in Parkhead. But we beat 
Motherwell, and I think it was two two one or three. It was just it was just that it was my my um my first time in Parkhead, and I and uh, and I remember uh, Di Canio where it was was tops at the time, and uh, it was just a it was just a brilliant time to be around around a lot of people who you feel like they're just like you kind of thing, you know? And and it's all to do with football. And this is way before any of this racist stuff kept came to the fore or anything like this, you know? Uh, but we all, always kind of felt like um you had bro- you had brothers in the in the in the crowd, you know? And uh, it, was, it was a great time. I just really, really enjoyed it. We went to two games that weekend actually it was uh, I think we played Motherwell and it wasn't any of the, wasn't any of the, 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 the Dundees or, or, or Rangers or anything like that. It was Motherwell and I think uh, we played that second game. I think it was St. Mirren or something like that. But in one or two games and I was delighted. And indeed, it was under it was under the management of the Canios there of the great Tommy Bones and like yourself, a man yeah. of uh, and Lord rest him, but a man of huge faith. Uh, stuff, yeah, yeah, uh, you know, and, and, and like just just when you mentioned that, I just thought of Tommy, and, and you yeah. know, and I thought of you praying in that car, and I'm sure yeah. if Tommy knew yeah. about your plight in the car, he would have prayed for you yeah. too, because Tommy was a great, <laughs> Tommy would have been a great man to pray. Um, yeah. Listen, it's been uh, it's lovely chatting. As I said, I'm looking forward to the book, but I do Thanks. believe I do believe if the book gets published, that there's a film in that book because it's yeah, it's it's a. Uh, it's a story that's that's worth telling, and a sto- and like as a boxing fan, but also as a as a human being, it's it's yeah. it's a story of, I suppose you know, ups and downs, you know, from your youth that's true. to getting yeah. the, to get to getting the break to go to college in America, but you know your talent brought you there, and then to have the balls to when you were broken down, you look to get in the ring. And, yeah. and 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 make and make a life in boxing, and come back here and, and you know and win titles, and you know fight the Chavezes and and the Amiakans, and you know it's it's a kind of a Cinderella story. And now the, and now you're giving it all back to to the kids with you know you, you named Kelly Harrington's coach there, and you named um you know the the great Michael Carruth gold medal winner with yeah. the Olympics. So you're keeping good company. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, true. Yeah, uh, this has been great talking to you, Andrew. Fair play, yeah. Thanks very much. Um, and I'll I'll thanks, chat thanks. to you again, hopefully. And if you're ever down this Brilliant. way, we'll get you in the studio for another chat. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, God bless. It's hard to see. Thank you so much. Thanks to Oshin for taking the time out to chat to me and share his journey with us. I can't wait to read his book, and hopefully, he gets a publisher soon because I do believe if the book is published, there's a film to be made about this little fighting Irishman. If you would like to sponsor us, please get in contact with us via the website, on social media, or by emailing us at info at You can also support us by visiting celticfanzine.com where you can become a member, subscribe, buy or donate for the price of a pint. Thank you for reading, watching and listening this week. And for further listening, can I recommend episode 5 when I chat to another dub actor Johnny Ward of Love Hate Fame and in episode 16 British boxing champion Scotty Cardle joined us for a chat while in episode 25 another boxer Gary Murray opened up his Celtic soul to us and his battle back from brain injury after he fell into a coma after a Celtic title fight if any artists want to play us out with their tune, song or poem please give us a shout 
and keep all those suggestions coming in for future guests. And also let us let us know what you think of the show and also with the fans in. So leave a comment in any comment sections on YouTube or with your podcast provider or even on social media. Folks, we go to Aberdeen on Sunday. We need a win. We need to stop the slump. So keep the faith. Stay safe. And I'll see you in Glasgow or on the road following the famous Glasgow Celtic. And hopefully I'll see you a few years at Celtic AM and some familiar faces from when we used to be in Malone's but the new venue is Morphy's in the Merchant Sea, and I'll see you before our next European adventure. And today we'll play out with a song from the very, very young Belfast boy, Jarlett Mervyn, a very, very talented young boy, and grandson of the famous Celtic supporter, Jim Mervyn.
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.